And now, Lord, we have approached the time in this service when we preach the Word. We know, Lord, that there's power in the Word of God. There's potential in the Word of God. And I ask you, O God, this preaching event, that you would move upon me with holy favor, that you would give me liberty and give me anointing and help give me, O Lord, good memory and recall to repeat the things that you've put in my heart. I thank you, O Lord, for this congregation and thank you for their diligence and thank you for their faithfulness. And I ask you, O God, that you would use me to convey to them what the Spirit has to say to the church. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians, that great book that contains so much doctrinal truth, the one that tells us that we're a new creature in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, old things passed away, all things become new. In the same passage, chapter 1, verse 8, Paul is in a discussion with a church. In fact, he addresses the letter, if you'll look at verse 1, it says, unto the church of God which is at Corinth. So this letter is intended to be read first by the church and of the, all the saints. His first Corinthian letter says, unto the church which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified and called to be saints. Well, all of us know that uh, the Corinthian church was anything but saints. There was fornication among them. There was incest among them. There was all kinds of fleshly extravagances among them. There was all kind of problems that was uh, favoritism. Some of them had uh, strong allegiance to Apollos. Others had strong allegiance to Paul. Others to uh, Peter. Others just said it simply, I don't follow any man. I just follow Jesus. So they just had all kinds of difficulties and he wrote many things to them all about from everything from marriage to uh, overabundance of uh, spiritual extravagance among them. They, it was not uncommon for them to come together in the ones while one saith he hath a tongue, one saith he hath a vision, one saith he has this and the other. And uh, Paul was trying to inform that church that there is one who dispenses spiritual gifts and all spiritual exercises find their, their root and find their initiative in the purpose of God's heart, that the church is blessed and edified through these many manifestations of the Spirit that take place in the church. He also dealt with a wonderful subject. He tried to identify and put a connection between preaching those who preach and those who are preached to. What about that? Those who pastor and those who are pastored. And he does that in this first chapter here, and it begins in, in verse 8, and he says, I don't want you to be ignorant. I would not have you, brethren, that you would be ignorant of our trouble. In other words, he's wanting to share with this church some of the difficulty of doing what he does and being who he is. Now, some people think that being a pastor and being a preacher is the easiest job in the world. They only work one hour a week. When Rachel was in grade school, they were going around the classroom one day, Jerry, and they were asking every one of the kids there what your dad did. And one said, oh, my dad's a plumber. And uh, one said, my dad's a carpenter. One said, well, my dad's a, a salesman. They got to Rich, Rachel and she said, my dad don't work, he's a preacher. Some of you who've been here 30 years know that God gave me Rachel to keep me humble in this world, you know. She kind of always brings me back to reality. Brethren, I would not have you to be ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia that we were pressed out of measure above strength insomuch that we despaired even of our own lives. But we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raiseth the dead, who delivered us from so great a death and doth deliver, and in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. Ye also, helping together by prayer for us, that for the gift bestowed upon us by the means of many persons, thanks may be given on our behalf. 
I want to talk about standing up to pressure. Standing up to pressure. You know, in the sports world, there are athletes that the Bible said they, they, they live for the moment. They just embrace pressure. When the clock says two seconds, they want to take that final shot. They're the ones that like the pressure. And the LeBron Jameses of this world and those kind of guys, they, they seem to carry the team. When the pressure is on and the urgency of the moment is dire, they say, I want the ball. There are those kind of folks. And they live with that anticipation of being under the pressure. There's pressure in all of our lives. There's pressure to be what God wants us to be. I live with that every day, all day. To be the best I can be for God. To do all that I do in the name of Jesus. To do everything, everything in the name of Jesus. Whatever I do, do it with all my might. That's pressure. There's a lot of pressure with doing what I'm doing right now. Standing up here and speaking to uh, eternity-bound souls. That is an awesome responsibility. To stand here in this moment and take something as, as precious as the Word of God and convey that to people that they could be strengthened and encouraged, enlightened, informed, blessed. That's an awesome responsibility. Awesome. And now nearly, well, over 10,000 sermons now in the last 46 years. That is still something that troubles me. I still get nervous when I talk about going and doing that. Not that I think I can't do it, but that I won't do it like God wants me to do it. And the greatest fear that I have about doing what I do is I won't do it the way God wants me to do it. It's one thing to stand here and go through the motions. It's another thing to deliver and do what God wants you to do. And when you walk away from this experience, there, somebody, we were sitting at, let me think where I ate last Sunday, ding, 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 Logan's. Somebody looked over at me and said, what's the matter with you? And I said, nothing. And they said, yeah, something's the matter. What's wrong with you? And I had to explain to them, there's this coming down. You get to that pitch of being used of God and being anointed and there's a, a high about that, pardon the expression, and there's kind of a, a coming down that you come to after that experience. I used to see my dad on Sunday, Brother James, he'd just shout and he'd pray for people and brother, he was so energetic on Monday morning, Lord of mercy, he was so slow moving and he was so, so he looked like a wore out mule, you know. And I asked him a lot of times, Dad, what's the matter with you? He said, nothing, nothing. But that's part of that coming down, part of that getting back to everyday life. There's a tremendous responsibility in handling the Word of God. Here it is. God's Word says that if you see the enemy approaching and you don't warn my people. Come on, somebody. If you know that there is a threat to the flock, if you know that there is something that could cause trouble, heartache, hurt, pain, despair, and you don't warn them, listen, he said, I will require their blood at your hands. Boy, you think that's not pressure? You think that your worst nightmare is standing before a great throne and a God from whose face the heaven and the earth fled away and you're standing there and blood is dripping from your... That's a terrible nightmare. I said, that's a nightmare. But in reality, the Lord said, if you see people on that broad road that leads to destruction and you don't warn them. If you see people that don't know the Lord Jesus and have never made a decision to follow him, that have not experienced the new birth, that have not had the transformation to become a new creature in Christ, and he said you withhold that and you don't warn them and you don't tell them, hey, you're going the wrong way. 
Then he said, I'll require their blood at your hands. You think that's not pressure? The Bible said, God calls you to declare all of the counsel of God. Brother, that's pressure. And every now and then you kind of take evaluation, Brendan. You think, well, what have I preached this last week? What have I preached this last year? What have I preached? Have I withheld something? Have I shunned to declare all the counsel of God? Have I picked and chose subjects that make you feel good or make you shout that make me popular with you? That's pressure. I said that's pressure. And it comes with this experience we call the preaching event. You see, when you preach to be popular and when you preach to win the applause of people, then you're missing the mark that God called you to. For most of the time, what God called you to do is to do unsavory things. People won't like you for preaching some of the things God called you. I've gone home from this room before and fell across the bed and wept because I really didn't enjoy preaching what God gave me to share that morning or evening or whatever it was. Sometimes God calls you to preach and puts a word in your heart that it's not pleasant. Hey, what did Paul call it? Preaching in season and out of season. Have you ever tried to preach out of season? Well, let me tell you this. You may be a hot preacher, but if you've got a cold listener, it's out of season. Come on, somebody. You see, in order for me to communicate with you, there's something got to reciprocate. There's an exchange got to take place. There's a sharing of, of the moment. You're as much a part of the preaching event as I am. Because, see, not only is it a fearful thing here to handle eternal things, it's a fearful thing out there. Because the Bible said, if you know to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is. Come on, somebody. And the Bible said we would give an account to God for every. Did you say idle word, sister Sunday school teacher? Idle word? You mean God is so specific about what we're going to be held accountable for that an idle word would be something he would notice? Come on, somebody. There, there, guys. Those, that bunch of guys I hang out with most of the time and play golf with, they, one of them told me the other day, he said, said, Preacher, do you know why I won't play with you? I said, why is that? He said, because I just say things and I drink things and I do things that I really wouldn't want to do in front of a preacher. I said, well, let me give you a good answer. Don't ever be offended about that because I don't expect dead people to do live things. <laughs> dead? What do you mean dead? I said, let me quote you one little scripture. It's in Ephesians chapter 2. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and in sin. I said, I don't expect sinners to live right. I don't expect sinners to uh, act like me. I'm, I'm saved by the grace of God. I've got another reason to live. Amen. I've got another goal. I've got another objective. I'm, I'm a servant. I own, I'm owned by somebody that owns me. And I, I love my owner, praise God. I'm a love slave. I stay because I want to. Hallelujah. I said, no, don't you ever be offended by me being around because I'm not your judge. I said, I'm not your judge. I'm not the one that's going to determine where you're going to spend eternity. I don't have a heaven or hell to put anybody into. Did you hear that? I don't have a heaven or hell to put anybody into. All I, I am is your emergency help. 
In fact, there's a little lady in this church that calls me her 911. Amen. You see, that's what God told me to do is throw you a rope. God called me to, to throw the lifeline out to you. God, God told me to tell you there's help for where you are. There's help with what you need. There's, there's help with what's bugging you. God can do something for you that no other power can do. And that's the message. And that's the purpose. And that's the plan. Amen. No, there's no man that's perfect. There's not one. Jesus was perfect. And what did they do to him? I said they killed him. So don't expect people to love you because you try to do right. In fact, sometimes doing right will get you some pressure. Sometimes as a mom or dad, doing right will uh, <clears throat> turn up the pressure. Sometimes as an employee, doing right will bring pressure. Sometimes being a good wife or a good husband will bring pressure. Come on, somebody. Sometimes when you've got to stand up for what's right, the people that are wrong won't appreciate your stand for right. Well, let's go a little bit further with this. When Paul said, I would not have you ignorant of the trouble which came to us in, in Asia, he was talking about the many things that come to him in ministry. Well, my Lord, Brother Jerry, you're talking about a guy that walked over to a fire and shook off a snake. You're talking about a guy that was preaching in a two-story building and a guy named Eutychus fell out the window, went to sleep. That don't say much for Paul's preaching, but he went to sleep and fell out the window, broke his neck and killed him, and Paul went down and resurrected him and brought life back in him. And the Bible said, and Paul went back upstairs and finished his sermon. Hallelujah. Well, we know that man was a great man of power. Singing praise to God at midnight, Philippian jail doors swung open, stocks and bonds fell off, and he walked out of there and got a Philippian jailer's household saved that night. What in the world could he be pressured about? My Lord, he wrote over half of the New Testament, Brother Jerry. What in the world could pressure him? Well, Brother Jerry, wasn't he the architect of the early church? He's the one that told us all about deacons. He's the one that told us all about elders. He's the one that taught, told us about a bishop. He's the one that told us about the church and how it should function and, and all those things. My Lord, what in the world would a man like him who is called the Aristotle of the New Testament church, how in the world could he be under pressure? Let's you know that no matter how high a person is in the spiritual estimation, he still is a person that's subject to pressures. Subject to pressures. Well, I don't really know what Paul's pressure was. He didn't name it. Well, my Lord, if you're going to tell us you got troubles, be like everybody else and tell them to us. I'm walking in the grand old highway and telling everything I know. No, no, that ain't the way it goes. Brother, if we've got troubles, we're usually telling somebody about our troubles. There's something about this flesh that wants somebody to say, well, you poor thing, bless your heart. Amen. Why in the world, Paul, didn't you tell us what your trouble was? If you got trouble, do like the rest of us and share it. Tell us about it. Well, he didn't do it. He said, I wouldn't have you to be ignorant about the trouble that I've had in ministry in Asia. Well, what happened? Well, we know that in Acts chapter 15, there was a silversmith named Demetrius who tried to run him out of town. We know that in Acts 19 that he was stoned and left for dead. We know that he went through all kinds, had a thorn in the flesh that was so ambiguous, volumes have been, been written about what was Paul's thorn in the flesh. Uh, we know that he was in fastings oft and naked and in peril, he said. We know that 39 times they striped his back with rods, beaten with rods. We know that he was afloat on the sea for a day and a half, floating on the sea. We know that he had many afflictions, but he didn't enumerate, he didn't say anything about any of those. What was it? He never told us. You know why he didn't tell us? 
He didn't tell us because what was going on inside him was greater than what was going on around him. Hallelujah. What was going on inside him gave him strength and gave him spiritual stamina to endure the pressure and stand up to the stress and make it through the difficulty because God did something in him that was superior to everything that was going on around him. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been like Paul? Listen to what he said. He said, I was in trouble, and he said it was a certain kind of trouble. It was a, a trouble that did something. What did he say about it? He said that we were pressed out of measure. Out of measure. It means that we were stretched further than we could stretch. It means that were, we were pressed more than we could endure. Wow. Well, Brother Jerry, you quoted last Sunday that God would not allow us to be tempted above that which we're able to bear. Temptation and enduring a difficulty is two different things. There wasn't a point where he ever talked about giving up or throwing in the towel or quitting the Lord. That wasn't the, that wasn't the pressure. That wasn't what the pressure was. The pressure was what he was enduring in his body, the, the persecution, the tremendous emotional strain that was going on. And what he said was, he said, I was stretched out of measure. I was taken past my point of endurance. Ooh. Well, if you ever get to a place where you're stretched past the measure of your endurance. How do you survive when you are faced with more after the day before you said, I can't take anymore? How do you deal with a day that brings you something that you thought you could never, ever face or you couldn't get through? How do you make it when you're stretched beyond measure? beyond the place where you thought you could survive and you could endure. It was because he had something inside him. It happened on a road to Damascus. He was walking down that road to do his duty of arresting Christians and putting them in jail and persecuting them. And the Bible said there was a great light that shined down upon him and he asked a question, who art thou? Lord, and the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. And his next question was, what do you want me to do? Wow, glory to God. And when the Lord Jesus answered him, he said, go to the street that is called straight and find a man named Ananias and he will lay his hands upon you and the scales will fall off of your eyes, not these right here, but your spiritual eyes and you'll be able to see spiritual things and at that moment you will receive a baptism called a baptism in the Holy Ghost that will help you when you get stretched beyond measure. When you're pressed beyond what you think you're able to bear, there will be a comforter that will come alongside you and he'll stand by you and he'll strengthen you and he'll encourage you when you can't take any more. Thank God there's a comforter that is greater than he that is in the world. He's never seen a problem he couldn't solve. He's never seen a situation he couldn't get you through. When you stretch beyond measure, let that comforter, who is the Holy Ghost, give you the strength and the energy to survive and make it through. Brother Jerry, when I couldn't make it, the Holy Ghost took me by the hand and said, we're going to get through this. Brother Jerry, when I thought I was going under, the Holy Ghost took me by the hand and said, we're not going under, we're going over. 
Brother Jerry, when I thought there was no answer, no way out, nothing I could do to help, the Holy Ghost took me by the hand and said to me, you are greater than this. You're a conqueror. You're a winner, not a loser. You're a victor, not a victim. Hallelujah. You're not a punching bag for others and the devil to punch around. You are the child of God. You're on your way to heaven. Hallelujah. Let the Holy Spirit give you the energy and the strength you need to make it through. How does a man sing praises to God at midnight when he's in stocks and bonds and his back is beaten to a bloody pulp? I don't think there's anybody that has that kind of strength to do such a thing. But when you've got the Holy Spirit abiding inside you, you can sing praise at midnight. You can sing praise when you're locked in a prison. You can sing praise. You can give glory to God no matter what the difficulty or the extremity that you're going through because God has given us this spirit. This spirit. Listen to what he says about that spirit. He said, inasmuch that we despaired even of our life. Now, despair comes from a Greek word called oropomos, oropomos. And it literally means without exit. Without exit. In Alabama, we would say no way out. I'd just like to know, is there anybody here in this house today that has ever been in a no way out situation? No way out. What do you do in a no way out situation? Well, there's always somebody laughing at me, but really, I don't mind. There's always somebody trying to stop my progress, most all the time. But the mean things they say, they don't make me feel bad. I can't lose a friend that I never had. I've got the Lord. And that's enough, that's enough, that's enough. Whoa, he saved me. He forgave me. He bought me and he sought me. He's my keeper. He's my guide. I can feel him a-walking right by my side. Glory to God. When there's no way out, no exit. Mm. There was a prophet that was backed up against a wall one time. The accusers, they'd given him all kind of problem. Jeremiah, and he was in despair and there was no exit, nowhere to go. His back was against the wall. And God, you mean God's still around when your back's against the wall? Oh yeah, you may have kind of thought he wasn't there, but he was there all the time. You may have kind of ignored him and thought he wasn't relevant and wasn't on the scene, was detached some way, but he was right there. And God said to Jeremiah, said, turn toward the wall. Turn toward the wall, why? He said, do you see that crack in the wall? And God said, dig in it. Dig in it. And faith, the Bible said he began digging in that crack in the wall. And the Bible said, and behold, a door. I was looking this morning through sermons that I'd preached sometime at Harvest. I preached a sermon, there is another door. I want to tell you there's a door. You may think it's not there. You may have to dig in that crack. It may look like there's not nothing there. It may look like that, that there's no opening there. But if you'll dig a little bit in, the, in that crack. What do you mean dig, Brother Jerry? Get on your prayer bones and start digging. Get out your songbook and start singing. Get out your Bible and start reading. Start digging in that crack. Hey, it won't be long till you'll discover a door because everywhere in God's Word, there's a door. His name is Jesus. 
And he said this, I am the door. And if any man shall enter in by me, he shall be saved. Oh, you may think your back's against the wall, but if you'll look closely, there'll be a crack. And if you'll dig a little bit, you'll find Jesus. If you'll put forth an effort, if you'll just simply say his name, Jesus. Can anybody in this house say Jesus? Jesus. Hallelujah. Say that again. Jesus. When I say Jesus, my sorrows disappear. When I say Jesus, he drives away all fear. When I say master, my blinded eyes can see. When I say Jesus, he speaks peace to me. You see, when the pressure is on, when the furnace is heated up, when the waters are angry and waves are lapping over into your boat and the pressure is on, the Bible said the disciples were rowing against those angry waves and that angry wind, and the Bible said, and their lives were in jeopardy. Their back was against the wall. It looked like they were going down in a watery grave. But in the helm of that boat was that man that said, I am the door. And the Bible said he was asleep. Asleep. How can you sleep with those waves pushing that boat around like a matchbox? How in the world can you sleep with the wind howling and men hollering out we're going to be lost. We're going down. We're not going to make it. But the Bible said they woke Jesus up. And he stood up and he looked around at terrified faces with horror and fear all in their face. And he said, where is your faith? Where is your faith? You know what the original Greek says? It said, how did you guys let things get like this? How in the world did you let this mess happen? Wouldn't it be something if you said, oh, God, help me? And he looked down and said, well, how in the world did you get yourself in a mess like that? Oh, God, please deliver me. Well, my Lord, how did you get in that mess? He looked at those guys on that ship and said, how in the world did you let things deteriorate to the point that you're in this mess? And then the Bible said, he turned around and said, wind, stop. Waves, nestle down there. Peace, be still. And the Bible said, and there was a great calm. Wow. Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever had a storm raging in your life and the pressure was on and it looked like there was no exit and it looked like there was no, no answer to your dilemma and you happened to wake Jesus up? Jesus! Maybe you just said his name, Jesus! When Peter was sinking after just doing what no other person had ever done but Jesus was sinking, he had sense enough. At the last minute, Martin said, Lord, save me! And the Bible said, and immediately Jesus just reached down and picked him up. Has Jesus ever picked you up? Hey, here's an answer in the affirmative right here. There have been many times I was sinking. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry and from the waters lifted me. Anybody been lifted? Oh, praise God. No exit, no way out. But they prayed. They prayed and God gave an answer. And listen to what he says. But God which raiseth the dead. I wonder why he didn't say, but God who made the heavens and earth. But God who cleansed the lepers. But God who opened blind eyes. 
But God who unstopped deaf ears. But God who raised the dead. Why that? Because the Bible said, if Christ be not raised, then preaching is vain. If Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. If Christ be not raised, you're a false witness of God and you're telling people things that aren't so. Come on, somebody. You see, that's the one thing upon which all of our faith sits. If Christ be not risen, then is your preaching vain, your faith is vain, and you're lost and still in your sins. But I love that 12th verse of 1 Corinthians 15. It says, but now. Can, Bob, oh, can somebody say now? But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Come on, Connor, and help me quit. You know what I really think that Jesus was doing? He was telling Paul, you need to refocus. You are so involved in what's going on. You see the problem so clearly that you don't see the solution. You see the surroundings. You see all of the, the pressure points. And you feel it. And you're experiencing it. And it's got your vision blurred as to what I really need you to see. You see, the Bible tells us we look not at the things that are eternal, but the things that are temporal. For the things that are seen are temporal, but the things that are not seen are eternal. Is it possible, Brother Jimmy, that we could somehow refocus and not be so responsive to the things we see and feel and taste and smell and hear and could be more responsive to the things we don't see because that requires faith and that requires that we disconnect from the present and reconnect to the future because there's going to be a dead raising one of these days and it's called the resurrection it's called the first resurrection and the Bible said behold blessed are they that have part in the first resurrection for on such the second death hath no power you see as long as you're being influenced by that second death. What is the second death? Second death is eternal punishment, separation from God. The Bible said that the beast and the false prophet were cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. And the Bible then said, this is the second death. The second death is to be forever estranged from God, to be forever separated from God. That's what hell is. It's eternal separation from God. And if that's bothering you, then that's a pressure point that God is saying we can relieve that pressure point. You do it by looking to Jesus, the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the one who was dead, but he is alive forevermore. He says, to Paul that you can make it through the pressure. You can make it through the stress because Jesus lives. He's not dead. There was an angel that needed a room and he went to the tomb and rented a tomb with a view. He said, I need a tomb with a view. Why? Well, you want to see? I want to see the greatest thing. One of my security questions, I'm going to tell you how to get into my stuff. 
One of my security questions is, what do you think was the greatest event in history? And I said, the resurrection. Well, Brother Jerry, I thought Calvary was the greatest place. I thought Calvary was the place that all of us should point to and say, that's the greatest event in history. Oh, Brother Jerry, I thought we would have went to that first Christmas morning when baby Jesus was laid in that, that manger in that stable in Bethlehem. That had to be the greatest event. No. The greatest event in all of history was that Easter Sunday morning. First day of the week. Because if we didn't have that resurrection, that cross is what put him in that tomb. Praise God. And if he had not come out of that tomb, we would forever look at that cross as the place where defeat and where the war and the battle was lost at that cross. It would be a symbol of defeat, not victory. But because on the third day, when death thought he had won, when the grave thought he still held Jesus, when hell was not threatened, praise God, about the dawning of the day. There was an earthquake and the ground shook and soldiers were petrified and an angel came and rolled back the stone and our risen Lord Jesus walked out of that tomb proclaiming victory for every one of us. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin and strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Why did he say, trust in God who raises the dead? Because in every one of you that are sitting here today, there is a living spirit. In Romans 8 and 11, can you put that up there for me real quick, please? I know they'd believe it if I said it, but picture's worth a thousand words. And if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus. If the Spirit, didn't let you know it just automatically happens. If the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus be in you. You mean it's possible, Brother Irwin, for us to have the same Spirit that on that Easter Sunday morning 2,000 years ago entered that tomb and brought life into the corpse of the Lord Jesus and brought again our Lord from the dead, that spirit, that Egypt that did that activity abides in us. That same resurrection power that raised up Jesus is in us. Well, I hope it's in most of us. Some of you might ought to wonder a little bit about it. But I want to tell you, if that Holy Spirit that raised up Jesus be in you, then that same Spirit, that same Spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit that lives in you that dwells in you. Our trust is in the God who raises the dead. And because you've got that spirit inside you, glory to God when the trumpet sounds. The Bible said the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised first. They shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. So when the pressure comes that stretches me, pushes me beyond the measure of my endurance, and there's no way out, there's no exit, and there's no answer, and I despair of my life. I wonder myself, I doubt myself if I'm going to make it. 
than that spirit that raised up Jesus. I said that spirit that raised up Jesus that's in you becomes greater than. I said it becomes greater than because God has put a power inside you. The Bible said, Acts 1 and 8, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you will be witnesses unto me. That power to be a witness. That power to live a life in such a way that others will notice your testimony and notice your witness and they will give glory to who? Your Father which is in heaven. And then you could say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He not only will help me through what I'm able to bear, he'll go beyond that and he'll give me a spirit that will help me bear what is unbearable, to do what is undoable, to achieve what is unaccomplishable. I can do impossible things. Impossible things. Impossible things. I sat one time, Kelly, in a classroom with a very distinguished professor from Georgia Tech. He was telling us how ridiculous it is to believe in a virgin birth. He said, all of you men look to be intelligent men. said, you know that's biologically impossible, don't you? They batted it around for a long time. Jerry and I said, uh, Mr. Professor, could I call your attention to Luke 142? It says, for with man it shall be impossible, but with God nothing shall be impossible. Now you're right. If we're going to try to explain the virgin birth scientifically, if we're going to take biological, empirical evidence and explain the birth of Jesus, no, we can't do that. But you've got to, with faith, by faith, see into a realm where intellect and ingenuity and intelligence can't go. And that's the area that's unseen. Because now we look through a glass darkly. But thanks be to God, there's coming at a time when we will know when the glass is removed. You'll know why that problem came. You'll know why that difficulty arose. You'll know why you went through what you went through. And you'll understand why you had to bear and endure that. Because one day we'll know as we are known. By faith, we can look into that situation and can see a resolution because God can do impossible things. And because God is in you, you're the temple of the living God, then you can do impossible things. You can go beyond the limits and the measure of your endurance. You can make it through things you had said and thought, I couldn't take that. I could not take that. My aunt had two sons killed in World War II. At one time, she had two caskets in her front room. Both boys killed in the Normandy invasion. I could never do that, Brother Jerry. I couldn't do that. I, I, I just couldn't handle that. I'd lose my mind. No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. And yes, you could do that. Because there's a God who has put inside you a spirit with resurrecting power and a spirit that causes you to believe I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, who strengthens me. Stand and let me pray with you right quick. We're gonna have a baptismal service. I'm gonna baptize some folks that have been saved, changed their life, they're a new creature in Christ Jesus. Brother, that ought to excite somebody. I said, that ought to excite somebody. I know you're real lethargic today. Don, you look like you've worked all week, buddy. You need some rest. Go go home and get in the bed this afternoon. You know, when God saves somebody, that's one of the best things that could ever happen in a church. 
When God brings people in the newness of life, that's one of the greatest things. And we ought to celebrate that. I said we ought to celebrate that. If a hamburger at Hardy's is more important than a soul coming to Jesus, then you need to reevaluate. Come on, somebody! You need to be able to appreciate people getting saved. Amen. God, I thank you for all these people this morning that have heard this message. Now, I know that there are pressure times and we're living in times when there's so many things striving for our attention and we're distracted in so many ways. But God, I also know that you have made a great provision for us that in every, every difficulty, every hardship, every situation, you have provided a means for us to endure and not just endure but to grow and to experience things and learn things that we've never known before. God, help us to appreciate and embrace the pressure. Help us, Lord, to go through those times with integrity, knowing that when I come out of this, I'm going to be so much better because I'm better under pressure. I'm better under pressure. Thank you, God, for that profession of faith. Could we all say that? I, I don't think the devil liked that, so I'm going to say it again. I'm better under pressure. You may not have felt that, but I sure did. I will say it again. I'm better under pressure. <laughs> Devil, it's a big mistake to think you're going to get me because I'm better in pressure. Under pressure, I do better. Praise God. Because you give me a good hand clap of praise for our Lord Jesus this morning. Thank you, God. You can be seated if you can. Everybody that wants to join the church this morning here at Harvest, if you'll come stand right up here, please, and face the congregation. Thank you so much. Amen.